Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you that we can come freely this morning and praise you with our voices. To shout it loud that all may hear of your goodness to us, of your grace. And Lord, may uh, our time in your word reflect that as we seek to not only hear, but to listen and to, to do what you've called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Grab your Bible and open up this morning to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And if you don't know where that is, that's okay. There's a Bible in front of you in the pew and you can turn to page 1473 and you'll be right there. Right? I want everyone to make sure you get a copy of God's Word. Grab a copy of that. I love hearing the sound of those pages turning. As we uh, enter into God's Word today, we need to be reminded that our prayer should be that The Word of God is what we're listening to. That it's God's Spirit speaking through His Word clearly, and that's what we desire. That's that's our aim. That's what we hold in high esteem, because the only way for us to know what God has called us to as followers of Jesus is to go to that. And uh, our world is swarming with opinions, with perspectives. We don't need more of those. We need more truth. And so... Uh, We're going to turn our attention to God's Word this morning and trust that uh, He's going to speak clearly uh, exactly what we need to hear as a church this morning. As we step into this, I have a a question for all of us as we we enter into really the first of our Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And that question is, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Now, I'm not talking about, when I ask that question, I'm not talking about looking in the mirror and saying, oh, what do I look like? I'm not talking about uh, putting on nice clothes and dressing up so that your outward appearance looks nice. That's, That's not what I'm talking about. When I ask the question, how do you see yourself? What I'm really asking is, how do you see yourself emotionally? How do you see yourself vocationally? How do you see yourself, probably most importantly, spiritually? If you were to stop and consider that, what would be the answer to that question? Whether we recognize it or not, how we see ourselves has a profound impact on what we say and what we do. How we see ourselves has a profound impact on how we respond or what we commit to doing or focusing on most. And oftentimes, it has a profound impact on even what we believe. How we see ourselves, though, is often flawed. We may find ourselves feeling pretty good about what we've accomplished or where our life is or where we're at in the midst of everything going on. Or, we may go the other way. And we see ourselves as worthless. Don't amount to anything. I can't do anything right. And oftentimes when you talk to people, you see both of these extremes taking place. But this morning, regardless of how you see yourself, we're going to take a hard look at one verse 
One verse, this is Jesus speaking, Jesus' words. And my prayer this morning is that we would evaluate, that we would take a long, hard look in the spiritual mirror of how we see ourselves, but that we would seek together to see ourselves in light of who God is. And you're going to hear me repeat that multiple times this morning because as you walk out of this place today, my prayer is that as a church family, as one body, we could truly stop and consider who am I in light of who God is. Who am I in light of who God is? And so we're going to read, we're actually going to start in verse 1. And each week, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read to whatever verse we're focusing on that morning. And my encouragement to you again is that as we're working through this, these first 12 verses in Matthew chapter 5, that you would be committing these to memory. Because we can come, we can hear, we can listen, and we can know what we need to do. But it's completely different when we take this to heart and we meditate on it beyond Sunday. And that's when this really starts to matter. So join with me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says, Seeing the crowds, he, being Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray this morning and ask God to clearly articulate this to us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we commit this time now uh, that your spirit would speak powerfully through the scriptures that you've given to us, that we might understand but not simply understand, but put into action what we know to be true. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the first question we have to ask when we come to the Beatitudes is there's one word that you find repeated consistently throughout each one of these verses. And that word is what? Blessed or blessed. And so you have to ask that question. In order for us to understand practically what is this saying, we first have to understand what does this term mean. And sadly, this is one of those common terms that gets thrown around even outside of the church where you commonly hear someone say, Oh, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. And a majority of the time, what this refers to when we use that terminology is what? What does that refer to? What was that? Okay. All right. God's blessing. What else? What, what are some other things? What was that? Okay. All right. What else do we often imply when we're saying this? I have a good life. Okay. Things are going well. What was there? Something over here. Good health. Or I'm blessed with good health. Or I'm blessed with uh, material things. Or I don't have really any struggles. Or I, I'm blessed. And unfortunately, culture has even taken that on. And you hear this thrown around all over the place. And yet, there's such a powerful meaning within such a simple word. And we see it used consistently in these first 12 verses. What does this mean? And the Greek word for this is makarois, right? And the term, sometimes you'll see people translate that as happy. Happy is the person. 
happy are you when you face these things? The struggle comes in that is, again, what we within our own culture and our own mindset define as happiness. And we tend to put happiness in this box that is very subjective. And what that means is we take external things and we say, in this time, I'm feeling the emotion of happiness. But that emotion is contingent on what is taking place in other areas of my life. And the reality is, in fact, John Stott, one of the commentators, says this is a struggle because happiness is a subjective state. Whereas Jesus is making an objective judgment about these people that he's listing. An objective judgment being something that remains true no matter what else is going on around us. And so when we come to how should we follow Jesus, what does my life look like in light of who God is, we should really be concerned about that which is objective, not that which is subjective. Because the things that are objective are the things that aren't going to change. The things that remain consistent, and oftentimes those are the things that lie outside of our control, and we, standing in one place, no matter what's going on around us, come back to a central focus that causes us to have an objective mindset regarding whatever else is going on. And so what I want to challenge you with this morning is we think about what it means to be blessed, what it means to be blessed in this context, and what you will see throughout Scripture is that to be blessed is really to be deeply joyful. It's to be deeply joyful in a way that nothing else can change that. That nothing else can hinder that. And if you want to call that happiness, great. But understand that if we call it happiness, it has to be so much more than simply an emotion we feel when things are going well. And to put this in some other contexts, Romans chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now that's a reason to be deeply joyful. To recognize that God will not count him against his sins, those who are redeemed in Jesus. James chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. I don't know how many of you, the last time you experienced a a really difficult trial, would come up to the person next to you or a brother and sister in Christ and say, yeah, I'm really happy. I'm feeling good. I'm going through this trial and it's great. That's not how we respond. And yet, the emphasis in Scripture is that for the person who's enduring a trial, they can be deeply joyful. That's where the second part of that comes in in verse 12. For when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Deeply joyful, even in the midst of uncertain circumstances around me. And then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Deeply joyful. 
A joy that is experienced when we see ourselves in light of who God is. And so each time we come back to that, each time we read through that, I want us to think about what that truly means to be blessed. And I would even challenge you further in how you use that terminology day after day. Am I really deeply joyful? And is that joy something that's subjective based on what's going on around me? Or is it objective joy because of who God is and what he's done? In light of understanding in greater detail what this term blessed means, we are still left with the lingering question, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And even beyond that, how do I become poor in spirit? Because if this person, if the poor in spirit are deeply joyful, I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be. I want to be deeply joyful and follow after these characteristics That Jesus is laying out. And if you were with us last week, you would remember that our focus is really that all we do would come back to glorifying all of who he is. And so each one of these comes back to an emphasis on this. And so what I'm going to do this morning for us as we think about what it means to be poor in spirit. I love when I can see... Some of you, you've seen these signs, they're on equipment or they're on instructions, and it shows you, don't do it this way, and then it says, do it this way. And they always have those crazy pictures of someone, like, falling into the machine, and the little black and white guys in pieces, okay? And it's saying, don't do this. And some of those get kind of ridiculous. Or if you read the, the back label of, like, a bottle of bleach, and it says, don't drink this. Okay, that's, that's a good, good thing to know. So I'm going to lay out for us what it doesn't mean to be poor in spirit based on Jesus' teachings, his interactions with people, and what he modeled for us. And then we're going to come to what it truly means. All right? So the first thing this morning, to be poor in spirit is not, is not to be physically poor. It's not. To be poor in spirit is not to be physically poor. Without fail, when we come to this passage, there is always at least one person who comes and says, oh, if you are rich or wealthy from a worldly standpoint, you cannot live in light of this. This is not what this is saying. It's a huge breach of context and everything else that this passage is talking about. In fact, in some instances, it may be true when compared to those who are enslaved to their money or their possessions. But the Bible never condemns wealth. Rather, it cautions both the wealthy and the poor with how they use what they have. Some examples of this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. It says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, that's puffed up or prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, trust storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. 
In a similar way, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Honor the Lord with whatever you have. And many of us could quote the passage from 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, which says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is. And so I emphasize that because the reality being we can read this is what it means to be poor in spirit and automatically correlate it with some sort of monetary value. And the truth of Scripture speaks that no matter what that looks like in your own life, you are called to the same faithfulness as your brother sitting next to you. Regardless of what that looks like. And it's important that we recognize to be poor in spirit is not to be physically poor, but rather an opportunity to practice and model this in a way to see ourselves in light of who God is. And the amazing part of that is that promise is available to anyone. That truth is true no matter what stage of life you're at. It's not limited to wealth or status. And think about the unity within the body of Christ. If regardless of where we have come from or where we are right now, we see each of us with the same task, the same responsibility, the same purpose to bring glory to God in every part of our lives. And that's what it looks like to see ourselves in light of who God is. It's this uniting force to say we're all in the same boat. So let's do this together. The second thing, to be poor in spirit is not to be physically poor. Secondly, it is not to be lacking in courage. Now, most of us could pinpoint or identify someone that we know who is just a gregarious, bubbly personality, who could get along with anyone. It doesn't matter if they know them. It doesn't matter where they've come from. They can step into a room and they just thrive. They just thrive. And so... Many times, we would identify that that person has a rich or welcoming spirit. And often infer the opposite idea when we think of someone being poor in spirit. Well, you know, there's they're someone who's quiet and reserved, and they, they really think about how they respond and how they act. That's not what Scripture's saying at all. Does poor in spirit mean that I'm somehow less courageous? Less upfront, noticeably present around other people, less outgoing, less bold. The very clear answer is what? No. We're going to try that again. Does this mean, I'm going to ask this question, you're going to respond with no. We're going to get this. Okay? Does this mean that to be poor in spirit, I am somehow less courageous, less upfront, less gregarious or outgoing? No, it doesn't. This is not what this means. Look at the disciples. Look at the Old Testament prophets and saints that God used and put in circumstances. Look at the people who are sent out as missionaries all over the world. Sometimes we're shocked when someone steps forward as a missionary and go, that person is doing that? It's incredible. 
And in fact, if you read throughout the rest of Scripture, God is emphatic that I'm going to use weak, incapable people to do my will. Why? Because when weak, incapable people are stepping out and doing the will of God, guess who gets the credit? God does. Even Joshua had to be reminded, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus commissioned the disciples, said, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't stop there. He says, And lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. You're not alone. And so you look throughout Scripture, you see these people who were hesitant. They were scared in some places, and God used them powerfully. And God has not called us to be less courageous, but rather, when seeing ourselves in light of who God is, He's called us to step out with more courage. Not because of who I am, but because of who He is. Thirdly, To be poor in spirit is not to be pridefully humble. Now, some of you are hearing that and you're going, wait a minute. It doesn't even make any sense. The reality is this is a problem for many Jews in the time Jesus is speaking and unfortunately can be a huge issue for us here today. The most present example of that in Scripture was the Pharisees. It was the religious leaders who were going, look at how humble I am. Look at all these things I do. I'm praying. See me praying. I am committed to God. Look at me. Look at me. And Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount against these very things. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have received your reward from your Father, that you, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. In other places he says that, he says, they've received their reward in full. The only reward they're going to get from that kind of action or attitude is what people see in them. That's where it stops. In the same way in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6 verse 5, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. They have received their reward. The reality of this being. We can do all these things and outwardly say, I've got this figured out. Look at me. Look at all I've got going on. And in our attempt to show everyone else how humble we are, We negate any humility that we would have. And we see ourselves in light of who we can be rather than in light of who God is. So it's not to be physically poor. It's not to be pridefully humble. It's not to be these things. So what is it? What is it to be poor in spirit? And I'm going to give you one phrase here, and it summarizes 
what Scripture's called us to as followers of Christ, what this looks like. To be poor in spirit is to be absent of self-reliance. Is to be absent of self-reliance. Now, when I talk about this, I'm not talking about somehow we give everything and say, God, I'm not going to do anything. God, I'm not going to do anything at all. And I'm going to just let you do it all. You do it all. But rather, it's an attitude to be absent of self-reliance is to recognize who I am in light of who God is. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, the church of Laodicea, they said, I am rich and in need of nothing. I'm rich and I'm in need of nothing. And that's the attitude that's exactly contrary or opposite to what it means to be poor in spirit. It's, what it, it's the opposite of what it means to look into that and say, God, I need everything from you. I'm incapable of doing this on my own. And I want to read a quote for you from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones that summarizes this really well. It's powerful. What it means to be absent of self-reliance. It means this, that we shall not rely upon our natural birth. We shall not rely upon the fact that we belong to certain families. We shall not boast that we belong to certain nations or nationalities. We shall not build upon our natural temperament. We shall not believe in and rely upon our natural position in life or any powers that may have been given to us. We shall not rely upon money or any wealth we may have. The thing about which we will boast will not be the education we have received or the particular school or college which we may have been. No, all that is what Paul came to regard as dung and a hindrance to this greater thing because it tended to master and control him. We shall not rely upon any gifts like that of natural personality or intelligence or general or special ability. We shall not rely upon our own morality and conduct and good behavior. We shall not bank to the slightest extent on the life we have lived or are trying to live. No, we shall regard all that as Paul regarded it. That is poverty of spirit. You see, the reality of this is that everything that we have accounted for And we have done that we see in and of ourselves. All of that is incapable of producing in us the righteousness that God has called us to in Christ. It is only by the sacrifice of Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus, that we can stand before God righteous and justified. And we could do everything we want to, everything that we're trying to on our own. And lose sight of who God is in the process. And lose sight of what He has said is our command and our commission and our call as followers of Jesus. And we come back to this place and recognize that there's hope but not in the way that we thought. And so hear this. To the one who recognizes that they can do nothing to earn their way to eternity, there's hope. 
to the one who sees their sin as too great to run from, there's hope. To the broken, the outcast, those who feel like they're on the outskirts of everything else going on, there's hope. To the one who views themselves as undeserving of any reward or gift from God. Everyone say that together. There is, there is hope. Don't you see? To be poor in spirit is literally to see myself in light of who God is. It's to see myself through the lens of how God sees me. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Romans chapter 3 reminds us that there is none righteous. No, not one. Not one of us can stand before God and say, I am clean. I am clear. So how do I become poor in spirit? How do I do this? How do I do this well? And it may sound simple, but it's something we have to do every single day. And so we stop and we look at God and then we look at Him again and again and again. Over and over, recognizing who He is, recognizing what He's been faithful to do in the past and what He's promised to do in the future. And when I can look at Him and I can see who God is, then all of a sudden, in me, I recognize how poor I am to accomplish anything of my own. How weak I am, how desperate I need a Savior. So how do you see yourself in light of who God is? How do you see yourself? And maybe you're here today and you see you see there's a gap in your life. And no matter how much you try, you cannot seem to gain control of what's going on around you. You recognize that there's this void in my life somewhere along the way. And still others of you here today are stubbornly in control of your own life. And you're white-knuckling the steering wheel and you're not willing to let go no matter how much things unravel. And God's saying, stop. Look at me. Fix your eyes on me. And when we do that, all of a sudden we see the clear picture that he painted from the beginning of time to say, I love you. I desire to give you life. I breathed life into your lifeless body when you were born and I want to give you new life in Jesus again. To be poor in spirit is to stop looking at myself for the answers that can only be found with God. It's to recognize the only hope I have no matter where I stand in the midst of society is through Christ. And that's why we take communion. And I'm going to have the guys come forward.
to serve communion today. And as we do that, I want us to think about what this resembles in light of what we've talked about this morning. To think about it in terms of who God is and who He revealed Himself to be through the blood of Jesus. His body broken on your behalf. Broken because of your brokenness and the need of a Savior. His blood poured out that you could be cleansed from your sin. And we come back to this place to remember Christ's sacrifice because without that, we have no promise or hope of life. And so we come together and we eat and we drink to remember all that Jesus has already accomplished. But if we leave here and we forget this and we lose sight of this, then we lose sight of who God is. We lose sight of why this, any of this matters. And so, as you're served communion this morning, I want you to take some time and reflect. What are the areas of your life where you've got a grip on it and you can't let it go? Where you need to stop and see yourself in light of who God is and what He's revealed Himself to be. Through the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Christ, through His faithfulness generation after generation. Father, You are good. Your grace abounds. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And today, may that not remain in this place, but that we leave here motivated, recognizing who you are, recognizing what you've done and what you've promised to do ahead. We give glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen.